So good morning. Uh, Sunday, June the 5th. We hope you'll um, plan on coming to join us in person. It's Water Baptism Sunday, an opportunity for you to be baptized in water if you haven't been baptized yet. It's the next right thing to do after you've chosen to follow Jesus. And so we would love to help you with that. You can reach out to uh, Pia, just P-I-A at kingstreet.org to express interest in how to learn more about water baptism or head over to our website, kingstreet.org. And uh, Sunday, June 5th just happens to be water baptism celebration and food truck Sunday. So uh, the first 300 people who come uh, on, uh, on that Sunday will get a, a ticket to uh, access either a beaver tail at the beaver tail food truck or some fries or poutine at the gangster cheese uh, food truck as well. So mark that on your calendar, Sunday, June the 5th. We would love to help you with the next right thing to do as it relates to following Jesus through baptism or to, uh, again, join the celebration by uh, coming on site and enjoying the food trucks that are available. So we started a series of scripture talks last week. Pastor Al helped us as we kicked off the series called The Elephant in the Family Room. And I love what Rick Warren says when uh, he talks about what on earth is God doing well, he says God is actually building a family. And um, so a little bit later during this scripture talk, we'll introduce this idea of the um, two-circle view of family. And that'll be our teaching theme for this morning. But family really matters, and it's not always easy to find our way forward. There are challenges as it relates to communication and conflict. There's abuse and addiction. Um, there's, there's divorce and there is failure and there are gender identity issues and sexual orientation conversations and uh, family life is filled with all sorts of challenges. And um, so next week we'll talk about what it means for us to be alone in a family. And for some of you who've chosen to follow Jesus, you're the only person in your family who's a Jesus following person. And that presents some unique challenges. And, and then there's others of us who are, uh, we find ourselves literally alone. We're either a widow or a widower, or we're divorced, or perhaps never married, and uh, in a single state in our life. And what does it look like for us to uh, live single in this world? And so looking forward to next week's uh, teaching theme. Uh, but our family of origin, no question about it, it shapes us. Um, we don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose our kids. Um, we end up being born into families that uh, do form us in some significant ways. And, uh, but our, our truest identity is, um, is not um, shaped by our family of origin only. Our truest identity is what God thinks of us. I, I often say um, to myself, um, Henry Nouwen, and I recite it, uh, I am not what I do, I'm not what I have, I'm not what others say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take that away from me. Therefore, I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. And so right in the middle of that um, statement by Henry Nouwen is, I am the beloved of God. Every one of us, that's our truest identity. We are in the crosshairs of God's love. And um, Jesus taught us to pray our Father, which makes us um, children. And I love what one of Jesus' close friends wrote uh, when he wrote his epistle, first, the first uh, letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, um, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And he says, that is what we are. And so we are adopted sons and daughters into God's family, those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus. And so we don't get to choose which family we're born into. 
and um, we are placed in a circle and um, we learn what it means to orient ourselves um, at an early age based on what we experience and learn and observe in our families. And uh, so we'll talk about the two circles because we have our family of origin, we're born into it, no choice involved in it. And then there's this other circle that we are also invited into as well, which is the family of God. And um, that is a beautiful circle. And we can be, um, we can learn some things from our first circle, so to speak, our family of origin, and we can unlearn some things there. And so this second circle, uh, again, the two circle view of family, um, this can form us and shape us and help us to learn or perhaps unlearn some things along the way. So our passage to ponder that we're taking with us during this series is from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, says, the end of all things is near. Um, if it was near back then, a couple thousand years ago, uh, it's even nearer now. And he says, in light of the fact that the end of all things is near, he says, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray to carry on an ongoing conversation with God. And then he says, above all, this is at the top shelf. He says, this is really important. Above all, love each other deeply. Because, he says, love covers over a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins. That's what Peter writes. And uh, we will have an opportunity to cover over sins in our family, in both circles, in fact, in our family of origin and in the family of God. Um, it's just the way life works. As I say around King Street or we say around King Street, if you're going to dance with somebody, it's just a matter of time before you step on one another's toes or get out of step or get out of rhythm or, or something like that. This is, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to live in relationship. Um, but family life is, uh, is a challenge and everyone wants to make family life work. In fact, I would even say that if you're somebody who's at the edges of faith and you're trying to find your ultimate purpose in this world and discover or rediscover meaning for yourself, um, we do believe that the ways of God work that they actually help lift our lives. They, they, they lead us toward a good and beautiful life. And I believe that that's also true about how to make family work. Families, like I said earlier, not that easy to kind of manage or figure out. And we need some help from above. We need a, an alternate perspective because our, our view is just very limited. And this is partly why, again, the circle of our family of origin, and again, the circle of the family of God, we need another perspective. And this is the beautiful thing about belonging to a faith community, is that we actually can um, reorient our lives, our values, the way we see things, um, put on a different lens, a worldview, so to speak. And, and that can be largely influenced by the circle of the family of God. So family's a big deal, uh, just a cursory reading of the Older Testament. You'll discover that in the Jewish scriptures, uh, family really mattered because family matters to God. Again, remember, what on earth is God doing? Rick Warren, he's building a family. Um, but right in the top 10, so to speak, the 10 commandments, Moses writes, he says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And so Moses writes that right in the Ten Commandments and says how a family relates to each other really has an impact on the quality of one another's life. And again, he's taking the emphasis from um, the children's perspective to honor their mother and father. There are verses in the New Testament that would invite parents to uh, take good care of their kids, not to exasperate them or to frustrate them in any way. And so uh, children matter to God and parents ought to approach parenting 
as a privilege that comes with responsibility. So there's mutual honor and mutual respect that flows both ways. So in our culture right now, we're having cultural conversations about what is a family. And uh, it's a complex, uh, complicated conversation for many. And uh, if anything, I would say, and uh, this again is my vantage point, I would say that in our culture right now, we are um, de-emphasizing the role of the family and maybe redefining it somewhat. And uh, I think a Jewish Christian perspective on family would be that we ought to elevate the family. Uh, it's one of the ways that God um, is preparing us for himself um, as he's bringing us into his family. We learn it sort of in a micro level with our own immediate family and extended family, but we're being prepared for something much different, much bigger, which is the family of God. So there's cultural conversations going on about family. There are challenges that every family faces, and maybe some of them are a little bit more unique these days, especially as we do a deep dive into a technological world uh, where everyone's holding and carrying their devices 24-7, it feels like. Um, and it feels often that families are complaining that there's not enough time. So here's what I would suggest. Right now, one of the challenges we're facing is not enough time. Another challenge is we're doing a deep dive into technology. And when you put those two things together, not enough time and too much technology, we end up with a distracted um, or disconnected experience of family life. And so that's a very real challenge for all of us, whether you're in the faith or not in the faith. And then there's costs to raising a family. Uh, boy, um, inflationary pressures these days are huge, and but they've always been that way for families. Um, even though it's costly to raise a family, it's still a beautiful thing to do. In fact, I remember reading a, um, a Catholic philosopher once who wrote that from his perspective, one of the first commandments was when God gave the mandate to the first man, the first woman, he said, be fruitful and multiply. It was a directive. And uh, so it's instinctive for us as humans to want to share our love with others. And when we build a family, uh, we're kind of uh, echoing or reflecting back what God is doing in the world. And uh, nobody does that uh, perfectly right. We all kind of look back over our shoulder and say, I would have done this different or that different. Uh, but thanks be to God for his grace and his spirit and the companionship of his word. That works, um, that we can, we can hopefully get it more right than wrong as we move along. So um, people want family to work well, and the problem is it gets complicated, and it gets complicated fast. Um, but God is with us, and he's helping us learn, and I think that's a big part of life. Uh, those of you who might be new to our YouTube channel, uh, life is about learning, and uh, we, we, we get it right, and sometimes we don't. But as long as we learn forward and we keep leaning into lessons learned, uh, it's a wonderful approach to, to life. And family should provide a safe place for us to learn a whole host of lessons on how we can be the best version of ourselves. All right, so just two circles for you today. This, the first circle, number one, and I've already kind of laid it out for you, is the immediate and extended family circle. There's the immediate and extended family circle. We didn't get to choose it. It chose us, so to speak. And uh, parents didn't choose their kids. God gave them to them. And kids didn't pick their parents. God gave them to them. And they try to figure this thing out called family. And, uh, but family was very important to Jesus. And I want us just to like hold a couple of portraits in our hands today, some snapshots that have been provided for us in scripture about how Jesus views um, this first circle and then also this second uh, circle, the two um, circle view of family. And um, Jesus uh, had high regard for his family. 
Uh, in fact, we'll see that these circles are somewhat separate, but they overlap too as we move through. And so I hope I'm not speaking too cryptically. I'll, I'll unpack it as we move along. Uh, but Jesus is at a wedding reception with his mom and his disciple friends. And his mother asked him to do something. And we got to understand in this context or in this culture that it was an honor-shame culture. And if you... If you um, um, dishonored your guest, there would be shame that would be put upon the family. And this, there's a wedding going on. It's a party that goes on for a number of days back in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish world, and they ran out of wine. And so um, Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, comes to her son. And because she has protective interest in the family or in the couple who have ran out of wine, she wants to protect them from shame. She says, you got to do something. And here's how it goes. On the third day, again, Jesus honoring his mother. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. You can hear this sense of they're going to be dishonored. There's going to be shame for this family. And then Jesus uses a term here that in the original language is not a term of disrespect. In our context, in English, it sort of sounds a little bit edgy, but it wasn't that way in the original. Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I think she was smiling through that one. And Jesus was sort of saying, my time hasn't come yet to perform a miracle. And this was his first miracle. But I love the way Mary says, I know that he'll do what I'm asking him to do. Because she was asking on behalf of someone else. And it was a noble request. And Jesus, because he is nobility defined, uh, he did the right thing by honoring his mother. There's a principle here for us. Jesus did what his mother asked him to do. And a cooperative spirit can take a family a very long way. Just being willing to be cooperative. Uh, so in some families, cooperation seems to be a million miles away. It seems to be elusive. And uh, saying to one another, what can I do to help, just doesn't seem to be common. In this situation, Jesus had high regard for his mother. He honored her request. She was asking something uh, beautiful and good. And so he, he said, yes, of course. And so he, he demonstrated a cooperative spirit. So Jesus honors his mother. Jesus cared for his mother. In one of the most painful moments of his life, he's dying on the cross for the sins of the world. He's suffering in brutal agony. And he notices his mom and he takes time to care for her. In fact, in this passage, we actually gain some insight in the high probability that Jesus' father, Joseph, his earthly father, Joseph, um, he was probably, he'd probably passed away a number of years earlier. Uh, and here's why I suggest that to you. Let me just read this passage in John 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. So his mother is there with him in his dying moment. This is how connected they are, Jesus and Mary. His mother's sister was there. So there's the extended family of Mary and Jesus. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Three Marys are there, and then Mary's sister, four ladies. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which is John, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And so if Joseph was alive and well, there would have been no need for Mary to have been taken into John's home. And Jesus is dying, not thinking of himself, but thinking of the father's mission and thinking of his mother in that moment and provides for her. And so Jesus honors his mother. He cares for his mother. And then Jesus participated in the life of his extended family. Now, he was only 12 years old. And, and this is one of those experiences that was uh, quite interesting, hard for us to get our 21st century mind around. But let me read it to you. Jesus is traveling with his family 
to the temple. And it's found in Luke chapter two. Listen to this. Every year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it because of traveling in such a large group. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They went a great distance. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. This is a large cohort of people who are traveling. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts. I don't know if CIS would have been involved in this or not, but uh, three days is a long time. Uh, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But then, sorry, but they did not understand what he was saying to them at that point. So here's just a real quick summary of this. They're in a extended family cohort with friends and everyone from their hometown traveling in Jerusalem and then traveling back. Three days, Jesus is, is kind of missing from the family. And I don't know what happened for three days, where he slept and what he ate and all of that, but he was taken care of by the religious leaders, it looks like, and he was learning and he was teaching. And there was some, some really, really cool stuff happening there. But Jesus participated in the life of his family. And we, we actually see Mary and Joseph and their extended family, their children, including Jesus and extended family, um, all, all doing this journey together. And so family is intended to be um, something that we, we spend time together, shared experience leads to connection. And uh, in this world right now, um, family needs to spend some more time together in order to remain connected. The family that spends time together connects together. All right, here's the second circle, and I'll move through this relatively quickly. So Jesus celebrates the, uh, the first uh, circle view, which is the, the immediate family of origin, so to speak. And then now there's the second circle. So the second circle is the circle of the local and global church family. This circle is big and expansive. Uh, we get to learn from our family, and sometimes we have to unlearn some things from our family. And as I mentioned earlier, we don't get to pick which family we're born into. Um, I, my family, we chose a dog 16 years ago. There was a litter of a dozen or so puppies, and we chose one. Uh, you don't get to choose your kids, and you don't get to choose your parents. But this other family over here, uh, we get to choose life in the kingdom of God. But when we step into that circle, we inherit brothers and sisters and spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual aunts and uncles, and, and we don't pick them either. Uh, we're put into a family, and it's a, a beautiful thing called the local global church. And uh, the disciples, they didn't pick one another. Jesus picked them, and then they did the journey together. And um, it's, it's amazing how shared experience leads to connection, and that happened for the disciple friends too. All right, really quickly, Jesus taught about an expanded family circle. Uh, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. His mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. So he's now involved in his ministry. Crowds are gathering around him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. 
for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And Jesus just immediately broadens the circle to say, yes, I have a family and I'm not diminishing it, but I also have another family. And these two families can overlap and intersect. And yet at the same time, they're not the same. And uh, now here's where they overlap. Ready? First Timothy chapter five, verse eight. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, that's the first circle. If there's a need in your family, your immediate extended family, Jesus following people ought to do whatever they can to help their family. He says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this second circle inspires and informs how we treat people in this circle. And it's really, really important that especially people who profess to follow Jesus take really good care of their families. And um, caring for those in need starts in one circle and bleeds into the other one. Uh, they move back and forth. Um, listen to this, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Because back in the first century, if you were a widow and you didn't have earning power and perhaps you didn't have children, uh, you would be in, in great need. But if you did have children and grandchildren, then you would be more likely provided for. He says, uh, James, uh, Paul continues to write, he says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so, this is huge, repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need, and there are some of those who don't have children and grandchildren, and they're left all alone, they put their hope in God and continue night and day to pray and to ask God for help. And so that second circle, the church, should look after those widows who have no support. But Paul's writing, there are some widows who do have children and grandchildren, and they should learn first what it means to look after their family. And I like that, repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. There are some cultures that do that really, really well. And in our Western world right now, we don't see that quite as frequently show up. Um, and I think we do well. This is not a cultural mandate. This is a Christian idea that we would look after parents and grandparents. It's in keeping with our faith. This is where the overlap of the two circles come. And then uh, loyalty, sacrifice, and reward. Here's our last thought. Loyalty, sacrifice, and reward are offered when the larger circle, this is the, 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 the second um, circle view of family, is prized and prioritized. So Jesus affirms both circles, his family of origin and also the the people of God, the family of God. He affirms both circles and wants to be found in each of them and wants to be prized over and above any other person in both circles. So whether it's your family, immediate family, extended family, or the people of God, Jesus wants to be prized and he wants to be present in both of those settings. So listen to this, Luke chapter 14. A tough passage to understand at first, let me unpack it. If anyone comes to me, this is, these are the words of Jesus, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus is using a figure of speech here, and we know that to be the case because earlier he said, here's the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus affirms self-love. And then here he says, we're supposed to hate our own life. And then he spreads it even further and says, to even hate your family of origin. Jesus doesn't literally mean hate them. He actually asks us to love them and care for them as we just learned earlier. Jesus did some love and care for his mother, Mary, as well. And so this passage is really saying to us, when it comes to our devotion to Jesus, he is out front and he is prized above all else. And so our loyalty and our allegiance is to him 
and over and above our immediate families and over and above even the, the people in the second uh, circle view of family, which is the family of God. And then Matthew 19, here's the last passage for today. I've given you a lot of Bible for today, so I hope I haven't overwhelmed you. Um, but I love this. This is the reward piece. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, which is their employment, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus holds out a promise for us and he practices it himself. And he says, you know what, if you have to give up things, and sometimes when we come to saving faith in Jesus, the rest of our family might actually even reject us. And in many parts of the world, that is their experience. And it might be your experience, uh, even today, if you're watching on our YouTube channel, that your family has rejected you or put you into a certain category of treated you a little bit differently. Jesus says, when you prize him first and foremost, and you end up experiencing some form of either persecution or rejection, or you choose to walk away on mission, there are people in our church family whose kids have gone to faraway places around the world and are giving their life to spread the good news of the gospel of grace. And uh, there's costs associated with that. But Jesus says, the cost that you pay now will be way outnumbered by the reward that you receive in the future. So I want to pray for you, and then we'll bring it back to the host pastors. Father, thank you for family. And uh, Lord, nobody who's watching today's family functions 100% perfectly. Mine doesn't. Um, but Lord, I thank you for the grace that you afford us, that we can truly, um, because of your love, cover over a multitude of sins and that we can learn to get better. And even when we bump up against the dysfunction of our own family or our own brokenness, that we can unlearn some things, we can learn some things. Thanks be to God for both circles, the two circle view of family. And we thank you that you are building a family and many of us who've decided already to follow Jesus are part of it. And uh, we thank you for all that you hold out for us. Help us to embrace your ways so that we can make family life work even better than it does now. And I uh, pray your blessing over every person who's watching today. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.